Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast recorded live in New Jersey. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger, live in New Jersey, the Garden State. Live from New Jersey. It's, it's no one. It's Into the Aether <laughs> oh, with no. Stephen Hilger. Bobby Moynihan. Um. <laughs> Brendan Bigley. <laughs> Caustic. Gex. <laughs> <laughs> and for alligator come on <laughs> you can't do that i know it was, it was fresh <laughs> off the of last episode i now see the audacity file like exploding They're like right. you need to pay for this level of volume. do you see the text messages i'm getting yeah. evicting me who's that idiot mm-hmm. we're live in new jersey with bobby Moynihan, gex caustic and for alligator and we're having a great time we got a great show tonight mm-hmm. uh the two bands playing are uh third eye blind and Caustic's kind of solo acoustic adventure. He does uh, only covers of early Radiohead. It's just the Benz and Pablo Honey. I didn't tell you this while we were recording the last episode because you were in the middle of a very salient point, but I had an article open uh, that was like all the information about the new Pokemon games, and on the sidebar of the article was an ad for an upcoming Third Eye Blind concert. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. I was like, do I stop this episode in its tracks to mention this, or do I just (laughs) let us breathe? But... Here was my in, and I took it. That's amazing. Your arrival at the end of the adventure is like, I wish you would sit that from... Yeah. Um, Did I ever tell you that I went to go see Third Eye Blind? No. How was it? I was dating someone who loved Third Eye Blind, uh, and it was the worst show I've ever been to. Really? Because it was all just like people who listen, definitely listened to Third Eye Blind in college and like weren't happy with where their lives have gone since then. So they were like moshing really, really hard at Third Eye Blind. Dude, I've been to so many concerts where like people want to mosh to music that is not at all yes. moshable. Yeah. Like, I get it. I, I, I understand it with music that is that level. Yeah. I went to an Alex G concert, <laughs> which is basically the closest you can come to just crying publicly. Yeah. People were moshing <laughs> to fucking Alex G, Sandy yeah. Alex G. Yeah. Um, was that Pitchfork? Yeah. Uh, I hear Mac DeMarco shows are like that too. That dude is just James Taylor, like reincarnated. Like, <laughs> it's like Buffalo Bill. Yeah. I can't, like it's bizarre. That, that's what his shows are. You see, yeah. you see pictures of him. He has his shirt off and he's climbing the rafters and stuff and people bleeding on the ground. Yeah. It's like, you got to read the crowd. Cause like yeah. people, pe- not everyone there wants to do that. Yeah. Especially your old friend, Steven, who's right. near the middle or the back listening to tunes. <laughs> Yeah, um, I always go all the way to the right. I'm sad the concert was not good because I do have a special place in my heart for Third Eye Blind. Do you? I do. Yeah. I think that they're a band that gets knocked a lot that whenever they're on, I'm like, this is surprisingly good. Yeah. Given it's like Applebee's playlist <laughs> kind of level. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I know it's like mean. no one thought to put it on, but when it's on, it's like, this kind of rules. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, that's me with Coldplay, though. Right. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I never got into Coldplay. Yeah. I was really into Radiohead in high school, and like that was my worst era of like being obnoxious about music. But at least they're not Applebee's playlist. No, 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 no. Radiohead are great, but I mean, is like I would not settle for the lesser Radiohead. Oh, I get what you're which saying. Which is what I thought at Teen Stephen. Yes, I, this is a harsh pivot from third grade Stephen who bought his magazines. <laughs> Teen Stephen was like, "Yeah, I like Radiohead." So yeah, I'm trying out for the musical. Yeah, I wonder like if I, I could go back in time. Was. And tell high school me that I'm a huge Carly Rae Jepsen fan and I listen to her new single on repeat for 48 hours. Like, what high school Brendan would think about that? He would probably fucking hate me. I would kind of whisper over to high school Steven and be like, look, Oblivion's still going to be a big deal. (laughs) Wait until you see Skyrim. Wait until you see Skyrim. Um, Yeah, what would I tell my high school self? Probably just to, like, relax a little bit. Mm. Um, 
High school was a very varied time for me. I went to an all boys Catholic school my freshman year. Right. The forgotten year. The forgotten year. It was a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, but I left. Um, and then there's high school was actually, I, here's the thing. I don't think I realized that I was unhappy in high school until I got to college and was happier. And I was like, Oh my God, that was awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but like not a bad experience, just not great. Right. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I've been wanting to see Radiohead live for forever, but their tickets are so expensive. We talked about this the other day, yes. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way you said yes is like, yeah. I got, I'm got. i right back in high school when it's like, I'll tell you this about Radiohead, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I loved burning CDs for people in high school, and they're always just like Radiohead CDs. <laughs> like, yeah, I think you might like this. It's like, Let me you burn you the I, bins. Do you think, no, for, like for real. <laughs> do you think I would like this, or do you just want me to listen to it, yeah. basically? Um, so <laughs> thankfully everyone has their worst era. That was mine. Yeah. I've moved on. So here we are in a better era. I uh, got to talk about ape out. It's a new indie <laughs> game on the switch. No, I had no segue. So here we are. This is my worst era. <laughs> my worst era is a great album name. It Probably is for third eye blind. Honestly. Yeah. It's my worst era. Can I go to school? Um, <laughs> Uh, Ape Out. Tell me about Ape Out. Ape Out's awesome. So Ape Out is a indie game in its truest sense, honestly. Because I think, mm-hmm. that, and I, even I wanna, the, down to the fact that it's published by Devolver Digital. Yeah, um, I think I love to talk about like where indie games are at as an extension of this conversation. Sure. But Ape Out is a game that came out on the Switch and PC. Um, it's uh, it says by Gabe Cazillo, I believe his name is. Yeah. Um, I don't think he did everything for it, but he's on the title card. Yeah. Um, and the game is very much influenced by games like Hotline Miami. Yeah. Top-down perspective, very violent, but it's violent in a way that, like, by the end of a level, it looks more like you've been playing Splatoon than actually killing anyone. Because, yeah. Because well, I'll get into the game. So the game, the premise is very, very simple. You are a gorilla that is escaping a hostile environment. Yeah. And you're trying to escape and you're going to kill anyone in your way. Mm-hmm. Very, very simple. Um, and the two controls you have are you can shove and you can grab. So the main way of disposing of enemies is to push them into a wall and they just explode into like oh, wow. a splatter of paint, basically. Yeah. Um, so it is violent. It's definitely not for the squeamish, but it's not like... It's not like uh, realistic, really. It's more like an explosion. Yeah. And that kind of captures the like tenacity and, and pacing of the game yeah because um, uh, what's most notable about the game is visually it's, it's beautiful it's a very minimalist art style but it's like very uh focused on like a, a contrasting palette yeah um what is that art style because it's kind of like uh psychonauts pulled from it a little bit i would say counter spy was like a really great example of this vibe like 50s 60s spy stuff yeah it definitely feels like a like a 50 like a mod spy intro yeah like dirty yeah um, yeah like totally it definitely like harsh kind of silhouettes it looks very handmade in yeah that way. so it's not like a james bond intro where it's sleek but it has that kind of that that's that, that attention to silhouettes mm-hmm. um and also most notably 50s is the jazz soundtrack yeah. so there is like a real time free jazz drumming happening. And the minute every level begins with you escaping some kind of confinement. Yeah. And then the drumming really starts. And whenever you kill an enemy, there's like a really harsh symbol clash. Yeah. So it's a game where your actions 
are tied to the music, which I love. I haven't seen it's a lot awesome. of games do that. Yeah. Um, the most notable example I can think of other than this is that game Res, where uh, right. that was like a very kind of Tron esque environment where the more you shot enemies, it would add like beats, basically. Yeah, the Tetris effect does that also. Yeah. By the same guy. And I guess like on a different level, you have that in games like. Breath of the Wild or or Shadow of the Colossus, where like when you are winning, the score changes, but it isn't this like immediate kind yeah. of minimalist attention, right? That that that's specifically like okay, if this then if this thing happens, then we change the music to this instead of if this thing happens, we add this to the song that's currently right. playing. Which so is, yeah. so yeah, so like if you're sneaking around corners trying to get to the next area, the the drumming will kind of subside a bit, and the minute oh, cool. it doesn't, it picks back up. So, yeah. um. And, and that's really it. Uh, it's just that those two things are so well done that it's incredibly fun to play. Yeah. Um, I think that... Uh, so the way it also works is that every level... there are, I think there are five like worlds, basically. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty short game. You could, you could beat it in a handful of hours, but um, it's purposely that way. Yeah. Um, every world is a album, so it has like vinyl like Great. cover art. Uh, so the first album you're in like a laboratory, I think it's called like Subject Forty Two or something. Yeah. Um, the second album you are in like an apartment building. It's called High Rise, and like the cool. first thing is you push someone out the window and you like hear them screaming and then like tsh, the symbol clash when they land. Yeah. Uh, and then the third one, I think you're in like a like a war zone area in the jungle. Oh wow. Um, and the one I just got to, you're in a ship. And mm. It's my favorite one so far. You're in like the cargo of the ship. Cool. So the game does a great job. Again, it's very simple gameplay. And the game does a great job of, of teaching you visually what certain things mean. So there are some enemies you know that like it may take longer for them to be killed. So you might have the impulse to grab one and then shove them into a crowd. Yeah. Some enemies might have like explosives around them so like okay i'm not gonna like just run into them yeah um and every even though the worlds all have their own design and their own music every floor is randomly generated so oh it kind of has that. like a roguelike vibe which interesting I know you like so yeah they're all kind of so that way you don't you don't, it's not like hotline miami where hotline miami you die and it picks back up so instantly that like you get into this frenzied state of mind where you're just learning what the best exact yeah. mechanics are to get out of the area. This is more every situation is different. Mm-hmm. So some some floors you might luck out and be like, oh, I just like got to the exit with yeah. like no adversity. And some you might be like, grab, throw, run, grab, throw, run. Yeah. Uh, and and the music picks up regardless of what you're doing. So that so that constant drumming is tied to your movement speed then at any given time. Uh, more so the action. Mm. The the you you can't run or walk. It's just one speed the whole oh, time. Okay. So, but you do get into a very consistent rhythm of like you know like enemies always wait a beat before they attack, mm. and certain enemies might wait longer, and their attacks might be different. And there are some environmental things like there are doors you can grab and then use as a shield. Yeah. There are some doors you can just push open. There's some glass you can walk through. So the game does a great job of teaching you things visually and you're using them to kind of help you get through an area. Yeah. Um, but honestly, the game shines when you're like thinking the least and just like going through it as viscerally as possible. Yeah. I, I should mention that I'm a huge hotline Miami fan. Yeah. The first one I was like, 
a fan enough to the point where I started speedrunning it or like trying to learn the routing for speedruns. Um, I really like the second one, and my favorite moments in those games are when you're able to just completely turn your brain off and just like instinctively and instinctually yeah. make your way through those this game's levels. definitely a little a little easier yeah um and it's more about the sort of visual and like music experience and i feel like that would allow you to get into a more free flow state if it's easier yeah exactly because it, hotline miami so quickly just ends with you dying right in one second there are like checkpoint i think every like x fours reach a checkpoint so it isn't like when you die it says like you can take three hits and then you die, mm. and it zooms out, and it shows how close you were to whatever the exit was. Oh, cool. And then you start back at the latest checkpoint, so... Will it reload a new level for you, or is it the same one that you're It'll be a different in? one. Oh, okay, cool. So I will say, like, the loading time, when you first open the game, you might be like, wow, I've been watching this long time for a while. <laughs> yeah. But then when you're actually playing, I think it probably just loads everything right away. Yeah. And then when you're actually playing it, it you know, it, it's very fast. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's great. It definitely feels like... You know, I think, and this is kind of what I wanted to get to with the term indie game. I think, like, what we expect from indie games now is so different than what we did. I think, like, this game is kind of a really nice change of pace from, you know, we talk about all these, like, 60-hour games that, yeah. you know, have all this stuff going on. This is a game that does zero focus on one thing. Yeah. Um, it's, de- it's definitely not the first to do it, and I think that I think that there might be some conversations about like where a game like this has a place because like we have we live in a reality where Hollow Knight is also fifteen dollars and like, is this <laughs> yeah. insanely dense uh, action adventure experience as much as it's an outlier but I get what you're saying yeah and 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 not to compare I mean like the ambitions of of Hollow Knight and the ambitions of Ape Out are completely different and yeah. should be judged for what they alone are trying to accomplish Agreed, yeah. but I think it's 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 nice to play a game like this that does feel so raw and like handmade almost and yeah like but still like very fun to play and it's well crafted but um i don't know I, i've been really enjoying it i i think it's a nice like if you're looking for a very short and like visceral experience of a game that may be outside of what you normally see and normally play um Holly miami is like the jarringly close example of this yeah but i think that it definitely has enough of its own flavor and like it's going in a very like Holly miami is a game that is falling very much into the like 80s Miami neon vibe. Yeah. And, like very kind of scummy, uh, yeah. ultra violent thing. And then at the end, they're questioning why you're even playing it in kind right. of a meta way. Yeah. Ape Out is like just like, we're going to have fun with this. Like we're going to have explosions of color. Yeah. And, and really exciting drumming. I'd recommend playing this either handheld or on TV, whatever. Whatever outlet lets you have better sound, sound mm. is the way to do it. Yeah, um, because totally. that's how to play this game. I think it's a really good game to like play if you've like had a long day. <laughs> <You're just> like, <laughs> you know, not that like I'm a proponent of playing ultra violent games, but I think it's also like easy to root for the protagonist because you're a gorilla that's being harmed by all these shitty people. So right. It's like, of course, I'm get out of the way. Man. Yeah. Get out of here. I mean, so. also the fact that it is so stylish yeah it doesn't because even hotline miami which is like you said leaning into like the scummy 80s uh vibe and and has like the the pulsating like almost i would say like dark edm like kind of uh gasofelstein like horrific side of edm that exists that game at the end of the day like the sprites are real ass human dudes whose like heads fucking pop off when you shove an axe into the side yeah i I remember having that 
be a thing I had to get past to enjoy that game. Yeah. Apeo does not have that. It's right. like very, very minimalist silhouettes that just it's all style. Yeah. yeah, it's all style. Oh, you know what is a great example of this style, I think, that is probably easier to latch onto than any of the other Super fucking hot. weird things. Um Super hot would be my example. Uh, kind of. I mean, of of the direct visual style that oh, they're going oh, for oh. is The Incredibles. Yeah. The yeah. Incredibles, like, visual style is what a is Kind of a Cold to... War yeah. Uh, silhouette. Yeah. yeah. Um, the vinyl album art is so dope. I almost, mm. I hope that this game sells those records. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if you get halfway through a level, it goes, like, side B, and you hear the record turning. Cool. It's really, it's really cool. Uh, I, 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 it's a really cool, because I think the guy who... Gabe Casillo, who like is credited as making this, I'm sure he worked with many others. Um, it's a really cool debut effort from them, so yeah. I hope that this is like a sign of like what they're going to work on in the future. Yeah, um, and I think that's the kind of thing that Devolver really looks for is yeah. you know, just developers with cool laser focused ideas and yeah. allowing them to see it through. And I don't think that they would have picked this game up if it was just Hotline Miami again. You no, know? it's certainly not. I mean, I think both games definitely have a high focus on. I mean, Hotline Miami soundtrack. He, can't get better than that yeah like uh well you can but it's you know for what it's trying to accomplish yeah um <laughs> as if someone would be like steven I, uh, hello i think you can get better yeah uh here are some examples yeah the next decks. letter we get to p.o box for yeah exactly yeah um but yeah i i'm really enjoying it i would recommend it uh i would recommend it honestly just to anybody um i've been enjoying it i i think that it's definitely on the shorter side so you know if you're looking for something that is that is like less of a because I think there's a certain sense of of burden when you get a game that's like a Red Dead Two level like 100 hour thing where you're like, yeah. oh, I feel obligated to be this because I spent this money on it. Here's a game like Ape Out where it's like more affordable and it's like a very just concise experience. Yeah. Um. So I I would recommend it totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I didn't get Red Dead Two when it came out. Yeah. For myriad reasons, but one of them was just like I don't have the time in my life to put. 100 hours into this thing <laughs> yeah i have yet to put 100 i i kind of stopped playing after we talked about it yeah we can get back into it eventually. i think that's a pretty good segue into the thing that i want to talk about so maybe we take a break and then we come back yeah sounds great cool see you then bye steven hey we're back yes hi hello uh i want to talk to you about a an open beta that i just played uh, a couple hours up between last night and today. Gex 4 is here. Gex 4. It's a games as service, uh, <laughs> constantly updated semi-MOBA world. Every day, Gex sheds his skin. And like a cicada, <laughs> the old Gex lays there, still in his memories. Mm-hmm. You get new loot for Gex. You get different kinds of tales made of different kinds of uh, materials. I got you a get voice a- line when Gex has killed. He goes, yeah, baby! <laughs> yep. This is too loud. Yeah, it's yeah. okay, though. Okay, <laughs> okay on them all. Yeah. Anyway, you've been playing a real thing. I've been playing a real thing. It's called The Division 2. Yeah. A game that I had no interest in and kind of still have no interest in, even though I enjoyed my time with it. We talked about it a little bit in the E3 episode, our very first like test episode. Yes. Um, so I want to hear where you stand. Where you? I want to hear where you stood, mm-hmm. where you stand, and where you think you will end up Continued, standing. Continue, yeah. Or I, if you're going to sit down. Right. <laughs> I, yeah. think, I think I'm going to sit down. Um, <laughs> I'm tired of standing. Yeah. So I'll say this much. I, I think we should preface this with, with the thing that we said during the E3 uh, episode and what most people's takeaway from the Division 2 reveal was. Not most people, but most people, at least in the games industry, um, or at least the people that I follow. This game is set in Washington, D.C. Uh, it has it almost nothing to do with 
the current political climate, but very much is trying to use that for their marketing mm-hmm. um, in a way that is like problematic and not yeah, great. Yeah. Um, there are signs around DC that I found that's like, we're all Americans. And it's like, okay. Uh, like trying to play like a both sides situation. Um, that is problematic and might be the reason that I end up not playing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was curious because it was a free open beta sure. that I could try out. And uh, I had friends who were checking it out. So I was like, okay, cool. Why not? Like, why not like run around? Yeah. Um, I say based off the- a Tom Clancy novel, right? Uh, it's a Tom Clancy game, but I don't know if it's based off a novel. Oh, interesting. Um, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but I was curious. Yeah, Tom yeah. Clancy's is just like a, a brand that they attach to whatever they want now. Tom Clancy's Pro Skater. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only skater left in Washington. Time to do some ollies. Gotta come back for one last 900. <laughs> Bob Burnquist, you're a machine now. <laughs> I am Robo. Uh, this is too much. <laughs> Get me out of here. What are we doing? Oh my God. Robo Burnquist. <laughs> oh my Chad God. Muska? I thought you were with them. No, I'm with you now, man. <laughs> wow. Where do you even go from there, huh? I'm throwing, I'm throwing pasta at the wall. See what sticks. Yeah. Um, so I, ch- I checked this out mainly because I played the first division. Sure. I bought it when it came and out. I think your reservations are like completely on point. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but I really liked the first division. Uh, when it came out, it was like pretty good. When did it come out? Um, I want to say three years ago, oh, okay. maybe four years ago. It came out like around the same time as destiny. It was like the first game to like challenge destiny mm-hmm. at being that like always on kind of MOBA kind of not sure. or sorry not MOBA uh, MMO kind of not situation um, and it, it was like semi-successful at that in the same way that every Ubisoft game is semi-successful right. <laughs> in their first iteration their first game, yeah. and then every Ubisoft game in as soon as they add a 2 to the title gets great right like that is how ev- Watch Dogs was that way Assassin's Creed was that way uh, Far Cry Steep 2 look out Steep 2 is coming steeper um, ooh shit yeah. well then it's not gonna have a 2 in the name that's true shit yeah shit 2 yeah <laughs> shit. Ubisoft's shit 2 we gotta rethink our jokes <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah so i was like okay i'm excited for this game but what ended up happening was over the course of the <laughs> development of the division what shit got to me it was a sleeper hit <laughs> um, <laughs> <keep going>. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> uh, what as with all of these kinds of games over the course of its life cycle it eventually got good yeah. like the division where it ended, apparently, for those who continue to play it, I'm not one of them. But from what I've seen from online communities and interviews and things like that, where the Division One ended is a great game. Uh, if you were to go buy it now and play it, like you would have a really good time. <laughs> Steven's still laughing at Ubisoft's shit too. <laughs> I'm sorry, I try my best. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, we're back. We're back. Yeah, we're back. Yeah, it's okay. Do you yeah. want to? Do you want to riff on shit too? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> or do you I, want really, I really don't. <laughs> that will be the thing that will make me stop laughing about it, but it will be at the detriment of this episode's quality. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> 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 Maybe take a break. No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm here. I'm, I'm listening. God, this is just like okay. I'm so memories and being here with you. Let's go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to move forward. Tell me how Division 1 ended on a good note. How it is not at all like shit, too. <laughs> and how we can move on from this cursed joke that I can't stop laughing. Of all the things to continue to laugh at, we've had some actually funny moments in this show. Mm-hmm. Anyway, here we are. Now I'm eating a cookie. Uh. You want one? 
Why not? Let's do it. Let's take a break. I need a cookie. Okay. There's none left. There's, oh, there's one, one there. Left. I left go. one for you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm back, and I no longer find what you once said funny, so we can move forward. Wow. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Times change, baby. What are we talking about? The Division 2. <laughs> uh-huh. And the... The, the history of yes. Division so far. Yes, and yes, Ubisoft yes. having a habit of... Having better sequels. Having, yeah. having better sequels and nothing else. And nothing else. That I will talk not about. mention, so I re-trigger giggles in myself. Yes. Yeah, the thing the thing about the Division 1 was that by the time it ended, people were very happy with where it was. Yeah. And it was in the position that Destiny 1 was at, where Destiny right. 1, by the time that ended, was also in a wonderful spot. It was like the game that everybody wanted to play. Uh, and actually, now that I mention it, an article just came out this week that was like interviews with people who were still playing Destiny 1 because they loved that game so much and they like didn't move on to 2. Where Destiny fucked up was that 2 removed a lot of the quality of life things that people liked about Destiny 1. Uh, and and ended up just like kind of being um, not a worse game, but a different game in a lot yeah. of ways. And that ended up not catering to what a lot of people liked about the first one. In an attempt to bring more people into the fold, they also cut a lot of the old Destiny 1 players out. Um, the Division 2, so far, at least playing the open beta, feels like the exact opposite of that. Where they have fucking nailed everything about it. Oh, wow. It is like... Better than the first game in almost every single way, with the exception of the location. Um, you know, outside of it being a problematic place and a problematic story framing device to be to have this in DC, to have your base of operations be literally inside the White House, and the first mission oh, you're doing yeah. is like battling Oof. for the White House. It's like okay, <laughs> yeah. it's like I, it's I don't know. Yeah, it's like fuck. If a white whale fell from the sky and you had to chase it, you know, it would be the only way it could be like more direct. I don't know. Right. Right. Um, so, so DC is kind of like a, a worse location for it. It is like an overgrown kind of uh, Last of Us esque version of DC, where right. like the the uh, nature is starting to reclaim it. Like as you're running down the streets and the side streets and stuff, like deer and like animals will just kind of like be running around uh, this open world alongside like all of the other people who are trying who are trying to survive in this area, going out and looting or like trying to find supplies or whatever. Um, it's nice, but I've seen this kind of thing before in sure. games like The Last of Us, who honestly have done it better yeah. because they committed more to that. It is overgrown and it is reclaimed by nature. And you also are traveling, so it's not like the story is about one city in particular. Right. Yeah. So the division ends up just being like a one foot in, one foot out version of like an, an overgrown DC yeah. uh, without fully committing to either side of it. Whereas the first game, I think, was really expertly set in a hyper hyper realistic version of new york right at like christmas time oh wow so you had like all the lights and stuff up uh all over in different like uh boroughs of of new york the kind of the way you would expect around christmas time um but what was really interesting was that that kind of served because it was like months after almost like a year after i believe that christmas where people had hung up the lights uh where you were playing which meant that to give you the framing device of the division one, there was this thing called the dollar flu that went around where it was like a virus that uh, people passed around by exchanging like money. Oh, um, and that's how, that's how it spread. Um, and, and a lot of people died and it was a whole thing. That dollar flu went around during Christmas time specifically because so how many much? people were buying yeah, gifts yeah. for people. Uh, so when you're running around New York and it's winter and, and you have all these lights up, but it's like sad uh, and, and you like see, 
you know, you go into like department stores and they're filled with like holiday shit all over the place and like buy this gift for your loved ones and stuff like that put you into the world in a way where like a just kind of summary like DC with more trees does not. You yeah. Know? And I think it's also like New York as a setting is so default at this point that like you're not like I don't know like what I don't I trust that Ubisoft wasn't maybe ready to make a statement either way by setting it in DC. Yeah. But I think it's like. That's one of those settings where you're inherently making a statement, whether it's conscious or not, by setting it there. Exactly. The same way setting it in, like, I don't know, Paris would. Or, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, where it's like, there's some cities that are kind of in fiction so associated with one thing. Yeah. And not even in fiction, but in... In, in life. In yeah. life. Yeah. Associated with one thing. So, uh, and I think it's interesting that in the first one, the... The flu was spread by dollars. Very blatant anti-consumerism angle. Yeah, uh, for a game that uh, <laughs> right wants you to. Buy. It isn't always on. Please play our game. And no <laughs> other game situation I mean, it works. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, that's a shame about the. I'm glad that two is better, and I'm I'm unhappy that it is kind of like not committing to an intention. I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, we saw this again with Ubisoft in uh, Far Cry 5. Like, Far Cry 5 was set uh, in the Midwest amongst, like, religious and and right-wing cults. And, like, that game refused to take a stand on if that was bad or not. Even though they were the bad guys, they still said that they weren't in marketing because they wanted, like, that section of the United States to buy the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, they they weren't even committing to the story that they had set up. And in this case, they're just doing it again, but in an always-on game instead of, like, a single-player romp. Yeah. It boils down to also, like, intention. It's like, if you're if you're kind of, like, winking at a thing and not committing to it, it's kind of problematic. Especially right. It's, it's, it doesn't serve the story, also. Yeah, exactly. It makes the story worse. Right. And it makes the overall product worse when you don't commit to one side or the other. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. yeah. Um, but all that having been said, like, I did enjoy my time playing The Division 2. Uh, it, it is really a marked improvement on the first game in almost every way. The skills, you, they do this thing where, like, you get a whole bunch of, like, weird tech skills that you can use. You have, like, a little grenade that you can roll on the ground and you can, like, tag an enemy with L1 and it'll just, like, roll its way over. And then as the person's running away, they're like, I'm so screwed! And then they blow up, you know, like, dumb shit like that and, like, auto turrets and, like, drones that shoot fire. It's, like, stupid, you know? But at the end of the day, it is, like, a Destiny-esque game where you're supposed to play it forever and you're supposed to learn the ins and outs of dc um do you know about the dark zone thing with the division no so there's this thing that they invented uh invented quote unquote in in the division one that is like almost battle royale adjacent where they had a section of new york that was just like you running around single player you could like run into other people and stuff but like you wouldn't fight them or anything and then they had another thing that was called the dark zone which was like a couple boroughs that they set aside for this area that was complete anarchy at all times. And if you went in there, you had to be with a squad of people that you knew because other squads of people were also around there. And it was PVP always. Oh, I see. So they never did like a team deathmatch or anything like that, like Destiny did, where you could just load into whatever. It was, you went to the dark zone. The loot was always like really, really, really good, but you would have to fight other players and like really high level NPCs to be able to get that loot. And if you got it, you could hold it with you, but you had to make your way to like a drop zone where you had to call in a helicopter with a flare and get the helicopter to take your loot out, which took like five minutes, which meant that you were just a sitting duck there waiting for the helicopter to show up 
which meant that everybody else who was playing in the dark zone at any given time would just swarm oh, in wow. and you would have to fight all of those people to get the shit that you collected out. And it was like this really tense, frightening experience that like really, I think, evoked the the horror of this like post uh, like bioterrorism world that they were really trying to to bring you with the division. Yeah. Um, the dark zone was the, was the best version of that. Um, and that's back in, in, in division two and I haven't played it yet, but it's in the open beta. I could like check it out. I just have to do a side mission to be able to unlock it, but it just seems like it's better in every way, but I just don't want to play in that world. Yeah. And I think it's a missed opportunity for them to do like, take a really strong stance against the shit that's happening right now, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's like, for for fiction like this, like so often we're presented with, obviously this isn't sci-fi, but sort of like stories like this are usually commentary of where we're at currently, and it's yeah. usually set in the near future. Yeah, like whenever, that's what that's what division is. Division is like modern warfare, kind of. Right. Whenever a story says set in the future, it's it's about now. Yeah. It is sort of totally. like okay, if we stay where we are now, what could end up going wrong? Yeah. Um. And, and and it would be cool to see a game like this that is kind of like a please play us, you're going to play this game for a long time, to take a, a proper stance on injustice, especially in a game set like in the, yeah. in the capital. Yeah. I, I think to, uh, I'm think, I was thinking about Fallout 3, because that's another game set in DC. Obviously it came out in a different oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in 2007. Not that that ever isn't a place that we associate with our country, right. wherever it's at. In that moment, um, but that game is largely about kind of rebuilding society. Yeah, uh, it's sort of like, well, what remains and what do we have left? Actually, uh, one of the one of the heroic characters in that game is Three Dog, the DJ, and he's like, yeah, he's like, you and I are two sides of the same coin. Like we're fighting similar battles, but I'm doing it a different way. Like I'm giving people hope. Yeah, and he, I think he is in the White House uh, doing his show. Oh, at least he? he's he's in a building in DC, but yeah. like not too far. I don't I don't think he's in the White House. Yeah. but regardless, he's in DC, and like he's in like downtown DC. Yeah, and I think that's a game that uses the setting. Given it's still in the fiction of its own world, I don't think they were like taking any strong stances against two thousand seven yeah. politics, but it feels purposeful in its decision. Yeah. Whereas it sounds like what you're saying is. Not only do they not make use of it being a DC in terms of plot, but it feels like an opportunistic thing yeah. where they're like trying to attract attention with it, yeah. but not actually committing to being like, what's happening right now is is not right. Yeah. And we're taking a stance against it. It's right. just sort of like, we're in DC, but it's actually about this and not really that. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. So. And and to its credit, it does have the whole like rebuilding society aspect of, sure. of Fallout 3. One, I think one brilliant thing that they're doing, and this is, again, mechanically, not narratively, which I think is important to denote, to your point. Um, but in, in the first game, one of my favorite things, kind of like Breath of the Wild, where I just started that game and went to every single tower yeah. before I played the game. In The Division 1, they had safe houses. Uh, so you had your main base of operations, which I don't recall. I think might have been the New York Public Library was your base of operations in that game. Yeah, um, That's a great base to have against consumerism. Yeah, it was cool. Libraries are... I th- it might have been. It might have not been. Um, but I, I like that fiction. Yeah. yeah. Either way, uh, so that was your base of operations, but you also had multiple safe houses around the city that you could unlock, and that's where you could go like restock and get new missions and do things like that. Um, and those safe houses were scattered all over the city, and they were in progressively harder areas. So the further north you went in the city, the harder 
those safe houses would be to get to because the enemies were a higher level there. Um, and I and a couple of my friends were just like, we're just going to unlock all the safe houses right away. So we just like battled our way through this shit, even though we were level like five, we were like, okay, safe house, safe house, safe house. And that was fun. But when it was done, it was done. And that was it. And it was like, okay, we have to find a new way to make our own fun in this game. Yeah, yeah. Now that we're done with this, like very quick thing. Cause that took like a night, um, in a game that you're supposed to play forever. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, what a what a title. Yeah. <laughs> um in the Division 2 they do the brilliant thing where they have safe houses but they have kind of larger versions of safe houses as well which are settlements around DC. So you have your base of operations which is the fucking White House. Uh but then you have other settlements and the settlements you can level up different versions of or like different things within um over time as you see fit and you can like build up those settlements until they become more inhabited and and uh, they have more supplies and the people who are living there kind of go from like struggling to prospering, essentially. So at least in the time that I played, I focused really hard on getting enough materials to give the kids in this one settlement like an area where they can play video games. Um, Amazing. And Very like brand. Yeah, right. Uh, and I unlock that for them. And like now there's like a little corner and that didn't do anything for me because you can do a thing where it's like, oh, I get a new merchant here if I do this. But it was yeah. like, no, let me just like see what it's like to do this. Um, and over time, you will continue to evolve all the settlements in D.C. And that will allow you to like have a thing to do where it's not just I go and unlock the safe house and that's it. It's I have unlocked the safe house and now I'm building it up into a society. It. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, it's really nice. Um, and, and there are things like that littered all over the game there. Like it's almost overwhelming when you start playing it where it just like bombards you with facts and tutorials and information. Um, and the UI is beautiful, but also complex. But once you lock into all of that, and that's what I found the, the first division, and it was harder, I think, in the second one, but is kind of starting to get parsed out in my brain the more I play it. Once you lock into all of the mechanics and all of the things that you can do constantly, it's like, I do see how this is supposed to go up against a Destiny or yeah. an Anthem. Um, I understand why this is becoming the kind of game that people want to make, because I think, like, as we just talked about, a game like Red Dead Redemption is a hundred hour experience, and that's daunting on the on the surface like yeah it makes me not want to buy it knowing that's 100 hours but i've put like hundreds and hundreds of hours into destiny and if i bought the division two i'm sure i would put hundreds of hours into the division two it's easier to say i will do that when the game is quote unquote infinite and and the mechanics just kind of pull you in in a way that allow you to play uh however you see fit for as long as you sure. want i mean like I, I like red dead 2 for what it's worth but like that is a game that kind of constantly punishes you for playing it yeah like the minute i found out i had to clean my gun i was like come on like, right because they're forcing you into committing to their vision for a game instead of a thing like destiny or the, where or the division your where you're making yeah, your own fun or yeah. a zelda i think in that way even though zelda is not really in the same sure thing but it, it kind of is a make your own fun kind of game i think in the beginning at least and i think that's kind of like the brilliance of these always on games that are starting to pop up all over the place is that like developers know that saying this game is going to take 400 hours not everybody has that anymore um and and you need a different kind of thing where you could pop in play one mission and then leave and then over the course of years potentially level yourself up enough to the point where you're like wow i got my money's worth out of this game or like wow i'm glad i played this for as long as i did yeah yeah, it does sound like, though, like, in a game like that, the setting is so important. Like, yes. what I liked with my limited time with Destiny 2, I played, for for those who haven't listened to many other episodes, like, 
my experience with Destiny 2 was playing the vanilla version, playing through the story, playing a little bit more, and then kind of moving on. Yeah. But I enjoyed my time with it very much. And what I liked about it especially was that all the planets felt very unique and like yeah. appealing in their own way. So if you like kind of a gritty kind of Call of Duty-esque vibe, you're going to like Earth a lot. It's like a lot of greens and browns mm-hmm. and like there's a, there's a British dude with a sniper rifle that gives you gifts and that's <laughs> what else do you want in life. Yep. Uh, if you're like me and you're strange and nerdy, you like the weird planet full of robots that, you know... <laughs> that travel through time. That yeah. travel through time. Yeah. Uh, if you like more kind of Lovecraftian stuff, you'll love the Forgotten and, mm-hmm. and that planet. So not that it's like wildly different, but the setting is in a lore. Yeah. Where it sounds like in Division 2, the setting is something that at least raises some questions that go unanswered. Yeah. So... I, I honestly like a lot of people are gonna play this game and really love it. You know, yeah. If 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 you're the kind of person who like doesn't really care about that as much, like that's fine. You know, like j- you can play the game. I know people who haven't even thought about it. Like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's it's something where um, it definitely does go into how one reads games, how one reads media. I mean, there's yeah, sort of the exactly. Um, what was it? My English major shit coming back, but like. When reading books, there was often uh, there's a new historicist and an old historicist view on literature. Mm. Where an old historicist view is, you read the work and the work alone, and you kind of talk about it through the confines of the literature itself. Oh, instead of the context around exactly, and that's yeah. a new historicist view. Is and I, I think I'm getting the definitions correct. Yeah. Sorry if I'm if I'm not. It's been a while since college, but uh, <laughs> oh, new historicist. <laughs> oh, uh, new historicist is like. Let's talk about when this came out, right. you know. And I, th- I think that's, I think there's an element of truth in both of them. Yeah. Um, but I think that, like, for I mean, God, for a lot of literature we read, it's worth considering when it came out. Yeah. Um, it's worth considering the the world around it when yeah. it came out. And I think that for for games, I'm definitely a proponent of judging it by their intentions. So I think you have to question the intentions when the setting is this when it comes out now. Yeah. So that that's my take. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's probably why I won't be playing it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. These aren't my types of games, to be honest. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not a huge shooter fan. It's amazing. I like Apex Legends as much as I do, which I very <laughs> much do. Until yeah. I learned Crash Bandicoot was in it and felt a little sick. Yeah, but um, he's not. Thankfully, he's a ruse. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> so yeah, interesting. Well, I'm glad it's better. And and listen. If you're if you're listening and you are enjoying it and like that doesn't bother you like that's fine yeah like, I don't think you don't have to have your character questioned if you can look past that yeah but I'm if, not I'm not indicting anyone who is sure gonna go play this game yeah I like I I it's it's fine it's not for me yeah um I I just wish that they had thought about it before they made that setting I totally know? agree but at the end of the day like the game is fucking good and if that's the kind of game you want like if you're like I want to play a game like a Destiny or an Anthem and Destiny 2 is not for me and Anthem is uh, not great <laughs> <laughs> without getting too far into how those reviews turned out yeah um, then like The Division is the one that you play because sure. it's the only other one that's really out there at the yeah. moment um, and and 2 is is a wonderful video game um and not a great story. Yeah. There have been plenty of reasons that I bounced from a game that like I enjoy the game that I just don't enjoy the vibe of or like the choices made. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason. So totally valid. Yeah. Um, cool. You want to take one more break and then come back? Let's take one more break. Cool. See you soon. Goodbye. Hello. Hey. 
<laughs> it's like, it's like you're trying to do the Spider-Verse thing. Oh, uh, exactly. That's what I was going for. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Anyway, welcome back. Welcome back. To the podcast. Uh, I want to talk to you about a rumor. Rumors? Yes, a rumor. Um, a thing that is kind of starting to percolate that I'm starting to believe more and more and more um, is that Xbox Game Pass is going to make its way to the Nintendo Switch and come with a couple games. So, uh, what is it? Sea of Thieves, Ori in the Blind Forest, uh, Cuphead will be games that you'll be able to play on Switch via like streaming services, kind of like the PlayStation Now kind of oh, thing. Oh, interesting. That Xbox... As a brand, although they're making a new console that will be like, you know, the thing where you can go buy a, a disc and put it in your console. Uh, they're also trying to lean into the games streaming like Netflix kind of model. Sure. And that their first like test case for that outside of an official like Microsoft or Xbox thing is going to be the Nintendo Switch. Interesting. Um, how do you feel about that? Well, I would love all those games on the Switch, honestly. Yeah, because uh, we talked about playing Cuphead on Switch at one point. Yeah, this I have be an interesting way for it to show up. I have Cuphead on my Mac, and like it's not my ideal way to play it. Yeah, uh, I've enjoyed it, but um, would prefer it on. A, I prefer like a lot of things on the Switch, honestly. Yeah. The thing is, I feel like obviously streaming has become like the thing for most forms of visual media. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like where the money is and it's where consumers want to be. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the same applies for games. I think that Microsoft is probably wisely trying to be like the first to nail it. Yeah. Cause like all the data suggests like if we can do this, games make more money than TV and movies and streaming makes money ergo right if we can do this and not that it's all about money but like at the end of the day they're running a business yeah so I just don't like I'm trying to visualize a world and I could be wrong on this but I'm trying to visualize a world where like you have a game streaming service you're like what do I want to play today yeah and you can go through that (laughs) and I just feel like because games are so like huge file wise yeah and like, I mean, there's already like even something like Netflix is like there's so much like bandwidth required for that. Yeah. That like the I I think the technology is there, but it's sort of a question of like, is it worth it? Mm-hmm. Is it worth having? Uh, if you're someone who wants to play uh, Destiny or or Division, also having like thousands of other games on the ready mm-hmm. that you probably will never check out yeah i don't know i just don't really here's the thing i would love for there to be a more accessible entry point for games in terms of the money required yeah totally. i think that the fact that a triple a game costs 60 bucks is absurd yeah uh even for you and i who like we go out and buy these games a lot like and and we're you know in a certain threshold of income like it's still a lot for us too yeah and i think that it's like even harder for for a lot of people and and that's not cool yeah. Um, I don't think I think it's kind of like what is required because of the money it takes to produce that. Yeah, it's, yeah um, like we've talked a lot about how if you actually look into especially games that are kind of an ongoing thing, mm-hmm. you'll get like what it takes to keep that going. And yeah, um, uh, and then you look at games like Apex, which are free, and then you could give them money if you want to. Yeah, uh, whether or not that's the future, I just. I just don't really see games being something where you're flipping through a big menu and choosing one at random mm. the same way you would with a show or a movie. So I I think that Microsoft and Nintendo working together is I'm interested in that. Yeah. I don't know if I like it, but I'm interested in it. Yeah. And I think that like I would like to see 
I would like to see all three of the video game monopolies do that. I mm-hmm. think it would be cool to see them all work together. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that would really result in or involve, but like, I look, I we always kind of look back to the GameCube, PS2, uh, Xbox era where like the third parties are making games for all systems most of the time. Right. Like you would see an ad for a game and it would be like on everything. And I think we're slowly getting back to that now because you see a lot of stuff like PC and Switch or on PS4 and Xbox. Mm-hmm. So like, I think we're inching back post Wii U hell. But like, <laughs> right. um, yeah, well, in, the, in those earlier eras, like in the like Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis era, they would make different versions of the game for each of those. Yeah, I was thinking of Aladdin. Yeah, uh, Aladdin's the, the uh, big contention. Everyone's like, he gets a sword in the Sega one. It's cool. Yeah. I'm like, dude. Uh, the Genesis one, man. That was Genesis. the winner. I like the Super Nintendo one. Yeah, it's fucked up. Uh, you know, you can be wrong sometimes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I, um, I don't really think I would. I want to say this now. It sounds mm-hmm. pessimistic, but I don't think streaming is going to work for games. Mm-hmm. And I think if it does, I think it should be for like a select number, I guess. I don't know. I just don't like. Do you see a world where you have this screen? You're like, what do I want to play? Uh, uh, this? No, nah, never mind. This? Like, I don't see that really. Um. Okay. Yes, I I do see that that could and and is currently working for some people. Okay. Um. So PlayStation Now is a service that exists. I don't know if you remember. You came over to this apartment like right when I moved in. And we fucked around to PlayStation now because I think I had a free month of it. And you and I just like basically went through the menu and like tried like 15 different games in like an hour. Yeah. Uh, this one time, including like some horrible like off road racing, uh, like monster truck game. Oh, yeah. I do remember that. It was like, yeah. it was, like Bugsy's like big trucker, <laughs> like <laughs> Bugsy's big mud trucker or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like. We tried a bunch of them, and and I ended up canceling my PlayStation Now subscription because they didn't have enough in there at the at that point. But like, I think I did end up playing like a majority of Assassin's Creed Three through that um, at one point, or like an Assassin's Creed game. Um, and you know, I th- I think if you are subscribed to a service like that, it might just be let me look through here. Okay, this is the one game that I feel like playing at the moment, and then I'm going to play it until I feel satisfied with it, and then move on to the next thing that's on the service already. Um, What's nice about PlayStation Now is that if you start playing a game, it's not like you have to open up the PlayStation Now app and then go find that game and then keep playing it. Once you start playing it, it just adds it to your like list of games that you have uh, as long as you have PlayStation Now, uh, which is nice. It's like a smart way of going about it. Um, I think what's interesting about the Switch version specifically beyond the fact that it's just like Microsoft uh, games like showing up on the Switch, which is like wild in itself, um, is that Microsoft's strategy with Game Pass has been games will come out day one on Game Pass instead of like being released as full titles. Like you can go you can go buy Sea of Thieves right now, like as a $60 game in a store somewhere. But you could also just subscribe to Game Pass and get it uh, for, I think, 20 bucks a month or less than that. I don't even know how much Game Pass costs right now. Um, Crackdown 3 came out immediately for Game Pass. Um, and also, again, you could go buy it in a store and get the disc and, like, bring it home and do all that with if you wanted to. But, like, there's no reason to not get Game Pass at that point. Like, if you want to play Crackdown, get Game Pass for a month, play Crackdown until you're done with it, and then cancel Game Pass if, if mm-hmm. you don't want it anymore. Yeah. Um, which is kind of an interesting thing. So the reason I'm bringing uh, that up specifically is there was a really good article on Polygon by Chris Plant um, that I want to highlight real quick it was called crackdown 3 could be the future of xbox games for better and worse um and what he essentially talks about in this article was like crackdown 3 is not a very good game um 
it's fun, but it's not the kind of game you'd go out and spend $60 on. Right. It is the kind of show that you would go on Netflix and watch. Like, not a, not a great show, but it's good enough that it'll hold your attention for, like, an amount of time. Or, like, like an okay Netflix movie. Um, that's what Crackdown 3 is the, like, video game equivalent of. And if that's Microsoft's future in terms of game development, like, they just bought all the studios, and it's like, just keep making games so we can fill out Game Pass, and, like, as long as they're, like, interesting enough and, like, kind of cool, every once in a while we'll have, like, a Stranger Things hit. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, we're just making, like, the Netflix of video games. Well, that's the thing, because Netflix... From what limited knowledge I have, Netflix's production model is basically like, we'll give you a season. Yeah. Because they have such dispensable income at this point that they're like, we'll produce a season. If it flops, who cares? No one watched it. Right. And if it's a hit, hell yeah. Yeah. So there's less of a, like, it's on the shelves at full price kind yeah. of stress. I mean, yeah, I can see that, man. That's I, what I, just happened with Roma, which like just won a whole bunch yeah. of Oscars. Like Roma was a, a movie that got turned down by a whole bunch of production studios because they didn't think it would hit a wide enough audience. I am definitely not against it working. Yeah. I guess I just didn't see. And, and you definitely helped me kind of envision what it would entail more. Yeah. But I guess the way that I subjectively play games, I don't like. I don't know. I mean, I'm also someone who bought CDs until 2013. So I think I'm just <laughs> like fucking behind yeah. anything. But I. Yeah, I, I think I think that if it makes games more accessible and if it lets um, more kind of risky production moves happen, then mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Yeah. I, and, and me and me saying that I don't see it working is not me being against it. I was just sort of like, what would it involve? And like, yeah. what is, you know, what is... Uh... So, I mean, honestly, again, like... I think that that the accessibility is the big plus there. Mm-hmm. Twenty, it's the same reason like, you know, the subscription method for better or for worse because then you have the downfall of like, oh, well, like you know, is it better to pay X a month, and you know, it's it's a good deal if you're utilizing it, but is it better to like pay X and have something permanently? Yeah, which is I think something we're kind of losing as we get into more subscription based methods across the board. Right. So, um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I, I, I think I I think of like all new ideas, there's the thing that like I always think of uh with film, like color film existed for a long time mm-hmm. before it became the norm. Yeah. Same with sound, like silent movies. It wasn't like one day there was a movie with sound and people were like, Oh my god, this is it. Yeah, like, every movie now. Every sound, movie now. Yeah. It wasn't until a movie that used sound in a way that like worked that people were like, oh, this is the future. Yeah. So I think we're at a point with, with streaming games where we're still in the like, okay, it exists. Yeah. But what does it mean? And yeah, the history of this goes back years and years and years. There was uh, a service a long time ago called OnLive that, that tried doing this. That had like a streaming box set up and like that was way too early, but like they kind of had it working. There was another company, I forget the name of it, uh, that was also trying to do it. And that's what uh, Sony ended up buying and turning into PlayStation Now um, and and building the set-top box kind of idea into the PS4. Um, this is a thing that has been tried many, many, many times. Uh, and, and Xbox has had an interesting uh, uh, thought process in terms of how they're doing it because you can stream the games if you want to, but you can also just download them onto your Xbox I don't think that that's going to be the case with the Switch. I think you will have to stream it. Gotcha. Uh, because the Switch can't run those games. Right. Um, 
But also the the thing where I have kind of a hang up is that the Switch has like a notoriously bad Wi-Fi card, um, and and network connection on Switch is like spotty at best. And that's what you really want for a game like Cuphead, right? For a game like <laughs> Cuphead, or like imagine if they put like an anthem on there, yeah, like yeah, that'd be wild, right? Um, so I'm I'm excited about this personally. I can't wait to like see what the actual specifics of it are. Um. It seems like pretty set in stone that Game Pass is going to show up on the Switch in some way, shape, or form. Um, whether that materializes as, like, I can play the next Halo game on the Switch it will be wild. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what yeah. happens with it. That's where I'm at. I'm more at we'll see than, like, this will never work. Yeah. Uh, even though I did say, for the record, I don't think it will work. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely in favor of moving away from a the norm is to pay $60. Yeah. Because I think that that's not really working for anyone currently. Right. Yeah. Because I don't think AAA developers are, like, most of them are not getting enough money from that even. Yeah. Unless it's the game's, like, a huge hit. Right. And consumers are like, well, okay, this means that I'm realistically going to get, like, X games a year. Yeah. Even though I want to experience more. Right. So... Yeah, I'm I'm in favor of it working. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Well, should we wrap up then? Yeah, sure. Let's wrap up. Cool. Hey, thanks everybody who listened. Yes. If you know somebody that you think will like the show, uh, please show it to them. Um, you can point them to any uh, manner of places, but one cool one is twitter.com slash into the cast, where we have a Twitter account where we talk about the show. And uh, retweet stupid garbage, I think I say in every episode. <laughs> yeah, we're on most platforms. We're on uh, Spotify. I mean, I guess it's not worth saying if you're listening, because you probably already know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen to this podcast wherever you're currently listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, game uh, Game Pass, what was it? Yeah, listen to this on Xbox Game Pass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but for real, thank you. Um, if you could leave us a review on iTunes, that'd be super helpful. If mm-hmm. you wanted to help the show more directly um many of you have and it's very nice to see um but that does help the show very like directly um as the sharing so thank you for giving us your time uh we always enjoy making it and we are very happy that people like it yes yes okay all right (laughs) ubisoft shit too (laughs) coming at you live uh my name is brendan bigley you can find me on the internet at brendan bigley i'm steven hilger you can find me at steven hilger have a wonderful rest of your day Yes, please. Goodbye. Goodbye.